get your sodas? You didn't do anything wrong. We're just little girls. It's the last thing you are. Discovering the X-Files, the podcast in which a newbie, that's me, takes a deep dive into the entirety of Chris Carter's creepy universe, as longtime fans escort me on the journey, a journey filled with paranoid conspiracies and monsters of the week. I'm Eric's Antoine, and today Daniel and I will be discussing the episode Eve, which originally aired in the U.S. on December 10th, 1993. It was written by Kenneth Biller and Chris Brancato, and directed by Fred Gerber. In this episode, Mulder and Scully investigate two identical murders that occurred simultaneously thousands of miles apart. They find that both victims' daughters may be the product of a secret human cloning project created by the government. Harriet Sansom Harris guest stars, and Jerry Harden once again appears as Deep Throat in this pretty typical and solid Monster of the Week episode. After the break, Daniel and I are going to get into it. Stick around. Wondered if I had ever told you about the Litchfield experiments. Hmm. No, you haven't. In the early 50s, during the height of the Cold War, we got wind that the Russians were fooling around with eugenics, rather primitively, I might add, trying to crossbreed their top scientists, athletes, many that, to come up with a superior soldier. But naturally, we jumped on the bandwagon. The Litchfield experiment. Mm-hmm. A group of genetically controlled children were raised and monitored on a compound in Litchfield. The boys were called Adam, and the girls were called Eve. Hate to see you go, but love to watch you leave. <laughs> there you go. Yes, um, they they pull a uh, they pull a neat bait and switch with this episode. Uh, yeah, they. Really I don't know. It, like in that in that cold open, they set up something paranormal something supernatural yeah. you know and something that in essence they never quite explain but yeah so they 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 set up a supernatural kind of paranormal thing and then they present us with it turns out to be a techno thriller it turns out to be uh the boys from brazil yeah. or you know uh which in fact uh, this was actually a uh, i think it was a a spec script or it was like a pitched script by like freelance writers and their script was called in fact the girls from Greenwich so <laughs> <laughs> let's start with the bait and switch like yeah that's, yeah that's 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 weird to me that's 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 just weird to me like I, I I was I eventually yeah I get sucked into it but but I wonder well that's a weird thing to do you know, like, why do, that? <laughs> why do that, especially if it's not really going to have any bearing on anything? Uh, unless I missed something, but you take not it. Really. Um, it. It's funny because on the one hand, I'm watching this, having seen this episode a few times before, and kind of sort of remember the way it played out. 
but also try when I'm watching these now, I also try to look at it as if what if it was what if this was the first time I watched it? Okay. You know, the girl's dad's dead on the swing in broad daylight, and it looks like he has a vampire bite on his neck. And he has been drained of blood. So you're automatically thinking, oh, is this some sort of weird vampire take? But then yeah. Mulder goes straight to the cattle mutilations and completely yeah. bypasses anything that might remotely hit that <laughs> hit that supernatural pocket corner. Right, and and his suspicion is aliens. Like it, yep. it's not even like chupacabra or you know it, it's it's just directly aliens. Like that's directly his suspicion. Like aliens are doing this. It's just funny. He get he gets to go on his big long rant about cattle mutilations while Scully is just sitting there sighing and rolling her eyes a little bit and then obviously he his theory turns out to be completely incorrect not even close to what is going on but of course what i love about that and i don't know maybe it was part of the point or just a happy coincidence is that once he realizes that he was wrong he's okay with it he doesn't try to buckle down he doesn't argue he's like okay moving on actually speaking of scully was it me that she seemed a bit ir- like particularly irritable in the early scenes of the episode? And I don't know, yeah. like that there there was a, a certain like a lack of spark, like she didn't really want to be there. And I don't know if that was like a deliberate thing or like a you know like maybe Julian Anderson was just tired those days. I mean, I really don't know, but it, it it comes off that way. It comes off like she's a bit like more irritable than usual. I guess we could read it as just lingering animosity over what happened in the previous episode, but they never really bring any of that up either. So it just, it's just kind of uh, quietly sitting there. And the, the thing also is that apart from being particularly irritable in this, in this episode, it's particularly egregious how like she's so steadfast in being a skeptic, <laughs> you know, where you go like, come on, man, like the, Come on, like you don't think it's weird that like you don't you you don't think it's a little weird? You go all the way across the country and you have the identical girl, and her dad was killed in an identical way at the same time, <laughs> and 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 you don't find that odd? You don't you know you're you're immediately oh well obviously we have two serial killers working together, come on like <laughs> so like I mean you, you you don't for a minute like have a sense of curiosity or a sense of wonder. And again, like, I think that's part of that is just the writers really being very, they don't want to let go of the, of, of her being a skeptic. So they just, right. they shoehorn that in to the, I think sometimes to the detriment of the character, because it's, come on, I mean, you're an investigator, you have no sense of curiosity. I mean, fair enough, your, your explanation for this will not be supernatural, will not be paranormal. But yes, this has to be strange. There's something weird going on. And you need to acknowledge that. And uh, they do have Mulder needle her a little bit, particularly when uh, right after they realize that the deaths happened at the exact same time in the exact same way in pretty much an identical backyard. Um, She makes a comment about, well, maybe it's still just a coincidence. And then Mulder's comment was, well, I'd like those odds in Vegas. They're strictly adhering to that formula, but they also know that they're doing it. And it it's a good moment for Mulder. He gets a little bit of a laugh out of his comment there, but it, it does uh, it does make Scully seem a, not so much like an idiot, but just overly bullheaded yeah, about everything. Yeah, just like stubborn, just refusing yeah. to give an inch. You know, it's just like, okay, 
I know you're a skeptic, but come on. Like, just for a second, just for a second. I mean, you've got to admit this is weird. And then even, even you know, eventually they do find out the truth, and the truth is not paranormal. It's, it's, it's a kind of a sci-fi concept, sure, but there's some basis in, in a certain scientific truth. But they never... Okay, I mean, we're going we're gonna to go all over the place. We don't need to go chronologically here. But okay, like, we're, gonna, we're going to eventually find out that these little girls are the villains, the true villains of the episode. We're going to find that out eventually. We're going to find out that they were responsible for killing their parents simultaneously due to what we can assume is some kind of a psychic link between them. Yeah. It... Fair enough. Like you, could, you, you, like, you can get all that. You, I can sort of get that. But I don't understand why that method... I don't I, I don't get the methodology of killing the fathers like I don't they never really justify that like why do it in a vampiric way yeah um, it's uh, there's a couple things that are hinted at or that you can infer based on information in the episode but they never really make it clear one obviously is that um, you know the one I guess Eve seven states that uh, homicidal tendencies are uh, a unfortunate side effect of the experimentation process. And of course it showed up in them about a decade early or, or at least a decade earlier than it did the previous batch of clones. But um, beyond that, they never really go into exactly why they chose to do it that way. Was it just for fun? Were they just, was it just for shits and giggles? Like why, <laughs> why make it look like you're, <laughs> non-biological fathers had been uh, dreamed by a vampire on a swing set in broad daylight. It's just very <laughs> odd. And on the other hand, you, you brought up the psychic thing, and that's clearly an element, but it's one that's never touched on. Like, clearly they had some sort of innate ability to communicate psychically 3,000 miles apart from one another, and the one clearly reads Mulder's mind at one point, when she's specifically just plucking things out of his brain to toss his excuses at him, like the red lightning, the men from the clouds, and then specifically saying exsanguination. Yeah. You know, what what yeah. child of that age would know that word? No one would. But uh, yeah. clearly, clearly she read his mind and told him what he wanted to hear, but they never really go anywhere with that. It's never really mentioned again. It's odd. Yeah, well, actually, now that you, now that you uh, brought that up, see, that's, not, that's something that kind of slipped my mind. You know, but uh, now that you mention it, yeah, you're right. I mean, she does, she does go for very specific things, almost like she knows that's what's gonna, that's what's going to stimulate him, bait him, yeah, get him to look in a different direction. You know, so, and it didn't occur to me that, yeah, I guess you could say that she must have read his mind, and I guess they expect you as a viewer to sort of piece that together by the fact that there is a psychic link between them. So that means they do have this kind of ability, but. Since they don't develop that, you don't even really understand. Do they all have this ability? Is this like a do all the eaves, you know, including the the middle aged eaves, you know, like do they all have this? Are they all like that, or just these two, or or are, are they all linked, you know, in in some way? Right. And and the one thing that I I guess so like the eve, the one that kidnaps her, uh, the one that gets because there's two of them, right? There's Tina, and then there's Cindy. Cindy, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, and so the one that we see, well, the, the one that uh, that Mulder and Scully interrupt at the house when she's taking Cindy, that one is in fact Sally Kendrick. Did I did I get that right? That or... uh, the 
impression I got is that Eve seven. I think I got the number right. Eve seven is Sally Kendrick. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So she was part of this experiment. Because again, this stuff, this stuff is not a hundred percent clear. They keep things a little bit murky. Yeah. And it it doesn't really. That part, I was just, I was kind of lost. I feel, I feel a bit like an idiot. Like I feel like either I, I didn't get it, or they didn't give enough information for me to get it. But you have Sally Kendrick, who was the, who wor- was working at the clinic, right? Yeah. And, but on our, our understanding, because of Deep Throat's got that great scene, he's there to provide the exposition. It's kind of like they throw him in there. Like I, I get the sense that Deep Throat is. Uh, once they came up with that character, they kind of realized, well, you know what? we He's great because we can just use him. Like anytime we need some, just to throw out some exposition that would take too much time, we just need someone to just spit it out. Just let's have a deep throat scene. Let's have him like come out of the shadows and talk to Mulder for a couple of minutes and he can give us all the backstory we need. So he comes in with the whole thing with the Litchfield um, yeah. project, right? Which, uh, as we can understand, has been going on for you know many many years because the understanding is not that Sally Kendrick was one of the initiators of it but that she was one of the subjects right and she somehow i mean she's not institutionalized for whatever reason and that's the part that i didn't quite get the part that like why are they all like you know why is there an eve locked up in an institution and why are there these other eves that are loose you know like that's the part that was not clear to me yeah, it, it is a little it's a little murky. Of course they they hand wave away, you know, why aren't they why aren't they all over the place with, you know, they tend to kill themselves. The Adams and the Eves and as far as we know all the Adams are dead and they're I guess at the start of the episode there are still three living Eves. Uh what, 6, 7 and 8. Yeah. 6 is locked up in the mental asylum, 7 is Sally Kirkland who either on her own or maybe at the behest of someone else had decided to start up her own version of the program at a uh, fertility clinic. And then there's the Eve eight who we don't see until the very end. Right. So the implication is that ever, all the others are dead either by their own hand or maybe they were exterminated. Who knows? The one is locked up because she's crazy and horribly violent. And Eve 8 has clearly been living in the shadows and hiding, I guess, on the run, and that makes sense. But <laughs> it it does make one wonder how Eve 7 was able to get a medical license at some point or forge one and then work at a regular job for an extended period of time at a fertility clinic without ever being picked up or locked up or any other thing. It makes you wonder where they've been the entire time, or at least where specifically she has been. Yeah, and also not only working on a fertility clinic, but continuing these experiments. Yeah. Uh, or at least restarting them. That's the understanding. That in 1985, she kind of restarted them, you know, mm-hmm. decided to, to continue them. It's Again, it's not clear what the plan ultimately was. It's not, especially since when she kidnaps the two, the two girls the implication is that she wants to prevent them from becoming psychopaths. Yeah. She's hoping to fix them. Right. right. That that's essentially, I mean, she herself is not a psychopath far as we can tell. Right. Uh, She's not a a murderous psychopath. She's basically her mission there is to fix it. 
again, there's little things that you have to kind of put together. The, the episode doesn't make it clear. And I guess for, for the basic enjoyment of it, it doesn't really matter because mm-hmm. it's just kind of a fun techno thriller kind of thing. The actress that plays uh, the, the elder Eve, uh, Harriet Sansom Harris, is a great character actress. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I think she does a terrific job here. She, she's a very theatrical actress, especially that scene where she's like the locked up one. Yeah. like like you know, clicking her teeth together and making all these like... She's a very theatrical actress and it's great. And um, everything she does has to be big and like robust and... You know, because she's like she's been in a bunch of stuff. She she was on Frasier, several. She was like a recurring character on Frasier. She was like his agent, and she's also a very like big, almost vaudevillian character. And then you know, but yeah, you look at that. You have the big scene where she's like clacking her teeth together and like delivering her monologue in the in the institution. And then she's when she's got the when she gets poisoned. Her death scene is also very big. You know, she's just like shaking the table, and like, <laughs> and after, it reminds me like one of her big roles that some people might might recognize her from Memento. She's um, oh, and, that's and all, right. yeah, she's uh, she's uh, Sammy Jankis's wife. Uh, you know, so it's interesting how both in Memento and in this, she expires due to an excessive amount of ingesting an excessive amount of a toxic substance. In Memento, of course, it's Sammy. You, you forgot my insulin. It's time for my insulin. Um, in this case, uh, it's that poison, that weird poison. What, um, Digitalis. Yes, yes. Which is sweet and can be like, you can find it in, in soda. I don't know much about that. I don't know how real that is. Probably is real. Jillian Anderson really leans into the, the, uh, it tastes really sweet. <laughs> yeah, drinking yeah. Her diet said, yeah. mm syrupy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's that, the, the, you know, they, because they establish earlier, they have to establish that. They establish that it's sweet. They established that well, you you would barely be able to tell in soda because it would just taste really sweet, and you know just be there, you know. Well, okay, let's talk about that. the the uh, The climactic moments, the third act of the episode, I think is is really good. It's really tight and suspenseful, and I just like the way that whole thing that unfolds in that rural cafe that they stop at, you know. Uh, that that whole thing, yeah. But here's the thing: this is supposed to be the U.S. This is where is this taking place? Like, uh, I guess in California, right? Somewhere out west. Yeah, yeah. Right, uh, because that's where. It, so, they they stop at a truck, but this was shot in Vancouver or some, you know, <laughs> yeah. or somewhere near there, uh, and they dressed it up or whatever, and it looks convincing enough. But it all it, it looks really rural, you know. Yeah. I mean, from my experience, that's not, you know, when driving on the interstate. You know your 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 basic stops tend to be nowadays at least they tend to be food courts. I don't I don't know how it was back in. They tend to be gas stations slash food courts, uh, small kind of malls. I don't I don't know how it was uh, back ninety three, but I would imagine it was basically the same. To, to get a bit more personal here, um, there's a truck stop on the way to a city that I frequent from time to time in the next state over that is very old and is in a similar throwback way. So I, I can see it being even more prevalent back then, but yeah, you definitely wouldn't see many truck stops like that now, unless you were really out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because it basically is just like a one, it's, it's a truck stop that is essentially just like a, like a big diner. Yeah. Basically what it is. So it's like, you go in there, you get your coffee, your food, whatever you want. It's just this one, it's a one stop shop. It's just like one thing with, 
just two little bathrooms and it just seems kind of like okay but that whole sequence is done the the the, the episode directed by Fred Gerber. Well, I mean, he's apparently a TV director, and this is the only episode of The X-Files that he directed. I Weird. Think. Yeah, yeah, he only directed one episode. So yeah, the director, Fred Gerber, is a television director that's really well-directed. Like, I... I it, there's a lot of interesting shots in that final coffee shop sequence. You know, when, when the girls disappear and they start chasing after them. Yeah. And, that that whole scene is really well, well done. It's like really well put together. Even if, in my opinion, that kind of climaxes in a bit of a. I mean, I don't know to what extent this was uh, intended, but it was like when they finally catch up to the girls, right? Mulder grabs them both, <laughs> and, that, and and that, and that final bit. I don't know if this was deliberate or if it just. It didn't come off the way they wanted. It basically comes off to me like like the Coveney is having a hard time holding it together. You know, like he he's he's not really living in the moment because like when he delivers that line, they're just sort of like, oh, we're just two little girls. Oh, that's the last thing you are. But you can kind of feel him <laughs> crack, like you feel him kind of cracking a smirk. Like it's almost like this was the take they were gonna do before the real take. And he's just oh, playing yeah. around, and he's just like playing around with them, like, "Oh, that's the last thing you are." And now I'm gonna tickle you, you know. It just seems a little bit weird. Like it came out. I think it comes off more whimsically than what they might have intended, especially since the final button of the episode is much more eerie, you know. So like when you have that one little thing, um, and I don't know who to blame for that. Like I don't know if it's just that, well, whatever. They're doing a few takes. The company couldn't really get into it, or maybe. The intention was for it to play as kind of funny, but it's like these two logos just almost killed you. You know, like if you if you hadn't gone back in for your key, yeah, if you hadn't gone back in for your keys, you'd be dead right now, most likely. Both of you yeah, and Scott. It's a it's a bit of a goofy line reading in what is an otherwise fairly tense sequence. You know, between the the intended poisoning of Mur, uh, Mulder and Scully, and then of course when he catches them over by the truck and the. Uh, truck driver gets out with a shotgun because he thinks of course yeah he's a child abductor yeah which thankfully ends well for Mulder. but if if that were to happen right now i'm not sure it would with the uh the prevalence of uh child abduction and pedophile uh conspiracy theories in the united states right now i think yes. he might just take a pot shot at Mulder's head and might not even care if he accidentally hits one of the kids yes yes that that was that was actually on my mind you know, because, I mean, not, not to be too uh, blunt or, you know, I don't want to offend anyone, but, you know, you got a trucker who's got like a rifle, you know, he's a, a Second Amendment defender. I, I don't need more than two guesses to know who he probably voted for in the last election. So as far as like the whole Pizzagate stuff, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Like he probably is somebody who very, very much buys into all of that. So the moment that that he sees a guy with two girls. I mean, to be fair, you know, any decent person would be concerned for two little girls who are yeah. screaming for help with, with, with a guy. But, uh, you know, it's just, you're right. I mean, I think in today's climate, Mulder would get a bullet in the head. So, yeah. But yes, I, I think it's a good episode. I think it's a fun I episode. Like, even if things don't quite hold together, I do think it's fun. I think the little girls are sufficiently creepy. They actually got twins to play the two little girls. They they they, they had a hard time 
they cast locally, I believe, like up in Canada, they found twins to play it, which, because for a while they were thinking they would use doubles and, you know, trick photography and whatever, but then they said, no, nah, that's going to just be way too complicated. Well, that'd so, be a nightmare with kids. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And also, like, a nightmare with kids and with a TV budget. Yeah. Uh, you know, where, where you have a, a set budget for like 24 episodes, kind of like, yeah, you know, we have our big special effects sequences already stocked up for these episodes and we have this and this. So you're always trying to stretch that budget. So uh, I think that using trick photography and doubles would have been prohibitive. Like I, I just, there was no way they would have pulled it off. So you're lucky that they found those twins. Definitely. Yeah, I, I think it's a I think it's a really good episode. I don't I don't think it would be one of the best of the series overall, but I think it's a it's a really good example of a standalone X Files episode functioning as a miniature movie, because you can you can kind of see how a feature length version of this would play out. We'd probably get a bit more of the answers that we don't get here, and part of me wonders if they left some of that lingering so they could possibly revisit the subject on down the line. Although. Based on my memory, I don't think we ever come back around to this. Although maybe the comic books did at some point. But uh, yeah, yeah uh, it's it's an interesting episode. It's got plenty of twists and turns. Um, all of the featured guest actors are really good. I, I have forgotten about Deep Throat showing up in a couple of quote unquote Monster of the Week episodes, and I'm kind of glad that he does because it feels uh, he feels a little more playful in them both in um the ghost in the machine episode that he popped up in for a little bit and then again here with this they even they even segue into a little bit of voiceover territory with him here like they did in the last episode but i think it works far better here than it did there you know back yeah. in the fallen angel one it just felt tacked on whereas here it feels more natural yeah and, uh, I, yeah i think it's i think it's a really well put together one it's a nice little cinematic episode um that can get pretty uh thrilling at times even if it does fizzle out a bit at the end but you know that's okay all the character works on point aside from the company being goofy there for a little bit when he might not <laughs> mean to be right and maybe yeah. slowly overplaying the uh her diet soda moments a little bit <laughs> Yes, yes, that that is very much like, and you go like, why is she doing that? Like she doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't know she's been poisoned. You know, it, it's it's not until Mulder comes out and does this really over the top and obvious, oh you know, like display that that you know he really could have played that a lot better, oh. you know, than just like like Scully. They know like she I really mean, enjoyed could, that soda. She was really mad when he smacked it out of her hand. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's all in good fun. Uh, I agree with you about Deep Throat. Uh, definitely, if anything about it is shoehorned, I, it's only that I get the sense that obviously, if this was a, if this was a pitched script, right, mm -hmm. from freelance writers, so it's not even it wasn't something that was in the writers' room. So obviously, Deep Throat was like as a character that was added in. Yeah, because I, I don't you know who knows in what order these things are, but it is possible that at this point the character of Deep Throat, it just wasn't something that a freelance writer would have done because like, oh, well, you, whether maybe they didn't know about Deep Throat yet or if they did, they figured, well, that's part of the mythology, so right. I won't fuck with that. I'll just do like a Monster of the Week episode. But the point is like, if it's tacked on at all, it's because it does feel like, well, you know, we could use some exposition. We could use a scene that explains what's going on 
because we've only got 45 minutes guys so you know we we we're only doing one episode we're not this is not like a long arc so it's like we need one guy to come in why not just deep throat you know because it is funny it's like they go to the hotel they're, they're in the motel or hotel or whatever and then all of a sudden just you know Mulder out of nowhere is like all right well you know I, I gotta watch a movie now this movie I want to watch on TV and just like basically pushes Scully out of the room which is hilarious because before I were before I remembered that it's because he was going to run off to meet Deep Throat, I, my mind immediately went to the fact, and I don't think we've talked about this yet, and it is something that will bloom further on, but I guess now is a good time to mention it. You never really see Mulder dating around, but Mulder has a porn obsession. <laughs> oh, okay. We'll see well, him with porno mags from time to time. I know in one, at, uh, at some point you're going to see a box full of VHS tapes just off to the side that gets commented on. So the moment he did that, my immediately my immediate reaction was, oh, he's going to sit and watch porn in his hotel room on the FBI's dime. But no, yeah. he's going out to meet Deep Throat. But yes, we yeah. had talked earlier about Mulder's um, sexual interests, and he has them, but <laughs> they're mostly self, self-stimulating, self basically. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's... Hey. <laughs> it works for him. It, it works, exactly. you know, it works. He, he He's happy. He's certainly happy. He doesn't seem to need anything else uh, than his box that his box of porn and like that's a that's an intriguing notion it had not it had not crossed my mind it'll but, become uh, more prevalent as we get further into the show <laughs> i i'm looking forward to that i'm looking forward to exploring <laughs> to exploring Mulder's uh extracurricular porn obsession but yeah uh so yeah uh, agreed it's a fun episode yeah maybe not one of the best but you know fun fun to watch entertaining generally satisfying and i do like the eerie ending i, I like that i like that the, yeah. the show even if like you said i mean maybe they'll never come back to this and so if someone really loved this episode they'll be like oh well too bad they never went back to that because the whole thing about comic books it's like you know what it's a show you know it's like not everybody is gonna not, not everybody's gonna gather all the extra shit where are the others the adams and the eves all that's left is me and Eve Seven, she escaped early on, and Eve Eight, she escaped ten years later. Are you Sally Kendrick? That's not my name. But she's me, and I am her, and we are all together. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed our discussion. And if you did, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a like, Take a minute to write a positive review, and go ahead and spread the word on social media. The podcast is available on Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other platforms. Look for the Eric's Antoine Network on Facebook or on YouTube. You can also follow me on Twitter at Eric's Antoine Net, and check out my film reviews on Letterboxd if you are so inclined. You should also check out Daniel Baldwin's website, theschlocketeer.com, and follow him on Twitter at Daniel W. Baldwin. I'm Eric Antoine, and I'll be back in a few days when Daniel and I will be talking about fire, in which neither the cult's firewoman nor R.E.M.'s The One I Love are used on the soundtrack, even though either one could potentially be appropriate. In any case, I hope you join us, and until then, let's all remember that the truth is out there. See you next time.